this is the foresharing of the face of the Lord. And we've, we've really, for the last, uh, for the first couple of weeks, we did a little introduction. And the last lesson was dealing with the place of the feast, of God bringing us to a place and the meeting that God was bringing the Israelites to was a meeting with him. So, so the whole idea of all the meetings was that the Israelites would appear before him. And, and the seriousness of that, as we come together, you, you know, Jesus says, if two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So as we gather, he is in the midst and we're meeting with him. That should be the mind that we have, that we're not just meeting with one another, but we're coming together to to meet with the Lord. And and we we really went through that last week. But just to just to catch our minds back up there from last week and we're going to move on and and tonight we're we're going to begin touching the feast of Passover. We introduced it in the first lesson. We we have went over uh, two at least two introduction type of meetings, but tonight we're going to start getting into the feast of Passover and, and probably be in them for a couple, uh, two or three services. We'll see how that goes before we move to the feast of Pentecost, but I may be totally wrong. Uh, in Exodus 12, which, which we've read, uh, we're going to read it and then come back to it later. I just want to set it out here as the main text for us, Exodus chapter 12, and one second here, verse 1, and Jehovah spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household be too little for the lamb, then they then shall he and his neighbor next into his house take one according to the number of the souls. Take it from the, according to every man's eating, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, and male a year old, ye shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at even even. And they shall take of the blood and put it on the two side posts on the lintel upon the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh and that night roast with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. They shall eat it, eat not of it raw nor bold at all with water, but roast with fire, its head and its legs with the inwards thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, but that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. 
and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Jehovah's Passover, for I will go through the land of Egypt in that night and will smite the first morning the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgments. I am Jehovah. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And there shall no plague be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to Jehovah throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, one thing I want you to notice here and, and pick up on is he says he's going to smite the land. I want you to really pick that up, that, that in this working of the Lord here, he's going to smite the land. And when we look up that word smite there in, in the book of Exodus 12, one of the, one of the meanings could be a strike or a blow or, or death. So, so God is smiting the land, and, and that's a pretty, pretty powerful statement if you, if you think, about, think about it, that God is bringing a death blow to the land. And I, I, as I was preparing for tonight, that's what where the Lord just brought my attention to was this death blow to the land, this judgment that God was bringing upon the land of Egypt. And, and in him dealing with me here, I, at least I feel in my heart, this is absent in many believers, the blow that God struck to the land. Glory to God. When when we go through Exodus, we're going to read a number of places in Exodus, and you know you know me, I just want to run out and preach a lot of times, so so I have to settle myself down a little bit. But we'll probably come back in this chapter twelve as we go through this. But verse chapter four, verse twenty-two. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith Jehovah, Israel is my son, my firstborn, and I have said unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me, and thou hast refused to let him go. Behold, I will slay thy son, thy firstborn. Now this is a tough measure of the Lord, but this is the word of the Lord. I will slay, I'm going to bring a blow upon the firstborn of this land. Of this particular land, I'm bringing the blow. The Lord says he is. And, and so he says that as he said, let my son go. And, and, and of you here is that in order for his son 
to come forth, that blow had to come. There had to be a death blow in the land for his son to come forth. And as I begin to look at this, I wrote down what is Egypt or what was Egypt in that time. And it's a country, right? But it was a rulership over the people of God. The Israelites were God's people, and they were ruled by the Egyptians. And we know the story of Joseph, how that Joseph went down and was sold down into Egypt and became the governor of the land and really saved the Israelites because of the famine that had come up on the earth. So we, we, we have an understanding of Joseph and how God worked through Joseph. But when he worked through Joseph, the Israelites increased after Joseph's death and began to fill that land and the Egyptians became threatened. Now, this is all just natural. And they began to afflict and bring the Israelites into bondage. And so in Exodus 3, you go back and read what I said in Exodus 1, how that they made, the Egyptians made the lives of the children of Israel bitter with hard service. It says in verse 13, but Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, is verse 6, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. So I've seen their affliction. And I and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And this and this spoke in my heart. This this I believe it was this portion of scripture, but but somewhere of the sorrows of Egypt begin to speak in my heart that this is in the heart of man. You know, why while, while he's dealing with the Israelites here, you and I and all of us that are filled with the Spirit of Christ, humanity is in a condition even when they seem satisfied, where they're filled with bitterness, with sorrow, with a void, there's just something missing in man. And we know what that something is. And the simplicity of that is that's Christ. But here in the Israelites, they were bound up into service to Egypt. And we're going to get, we're going to get somewhere with this in a moment. So bear with me. And so God says, behold, he's heard the cry of Israel and they come to him and he's come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I love that. Out of their hand. Now, as you study this, you'll find he's bringing them out of the hand of the Egyptians by his hand. 
So, so here, the hand is dealing with the power and authority. So he's bringing them out of the power and authority of Egyptians by his own power and authority or by his own strength, by his own hand. And it's, it's just so clear to me as I read through uh, a number of these scriptures here in the Exodus that that's what the Lord is talking about, his authority, his strength. He came to bring them out. And I said uh, a couple weeks, Israel couldn't even come out of Egypt by their own works. They couldn't come out by Moses. They had no ability to get out of Egypt, which was a literal land that they were bound up in. Well, in Exodus 3 and 18, it says, God is speaking again to Moses, and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say unto him, Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, have met with us, and now let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to Jehovah our God. And I know that the king of Egypt will not give you leave to go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will put forth my hand. I will put forth my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Okay. Now, when Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels, when he began to minister in the Gospels, the Jewish nation was again in bondage. They were bound to Rome as a nation. And what did Jesus begin to do? He began to perform in the midst of the Israelites all kinds of signs and wonders. So the Roman captivity represented something greater than, Rome, than just Rome's captivity. Just like the Egyptian captivity represented something greater than just Egyptian captivity, when God came to Egypt, you saw the, the signs and wonders that he, he demonstrated in the land. And, and somewhere as I was studying, I'm, I'm sure I've got it written down in my notes, he did that so they would believe him. Well, you fast forward to Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he causes the blind to see, the ears to hear. Why did he do that? So they would believe him. He began to work and smite the land. Jesus was smiting the land with his wonders because the land had his people in captivity, in captivity of soul and in captivity of disease, you could say, in captivity of sickness. They were captive in the day that Jesus came on the scene. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And he began to smite the land until he gives it the death blow. And it's the same way 
here in the picture of what Jesus was going to do is that God was working signs and wonders up to the time that he gives it the death blow. So, so the signs and wonders are going on to in Egypt that God would establish who he is. He was establishing who he is by the signs and wonders. And, and like I said, you fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is establishing who he is by the signs and wonders. Insomuch that John says to him, after John is put in prison, do we look for another or are you the Christ? After John had had the revelation of the Christ, you know, here he's saying, do we look for another or are you the one? And Jesus, what was Jesus' answer? The, the blind see, the, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the mute speak. I'm him. I'm the one the scriptures declared me to be. So he's establishing himself before he gives the earth the death blow. And that's what God did here in Egypt. He established himself before the Passover come. And part of the Passover is God's judgment upon Egypt. And it's the same thing when Jesus fulfills the Passover, he brings a judgment upon the land. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So in Exodus 3 and 18, he says, oh, well, I just read that, Exodus 7 and, and 1, excuse me, Exodus 7 and 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of the land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand, my authority, my power upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies, my hosts. So you hear him called the Lord of hosts. So here he's going to bring his host out of Egypt, his armies out of Egypt, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know I am Jehovah. They're going to know who I am because I'm bringing judgments into the land when I stretch forth my hand upon the land of Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. So God is, like I said, establishing who he is, that he is Jehovah. And Jesus does the same thing before he goes to the cross. He establishes in the midst of Jerusalem that I am the one. 
that the prophets declare through the miracle signs and wonders before he goes to the cross. So, well, here's chapter 10, and I'll, I'll, I'll move on, but chapter 10, verse 2, is what I, what I mentioned to you while ago. And thou... And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's son what things I have wrought upon Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am Jehovah. That you may know. So again, let's fast forward in our hearts to Jesus going to the cross. He told the Jewish folks, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Why this had so much power and authority is they, he, he was witnessed from Capernaum, Judea, all across the land. There was a witness of who he is through the miracle signs and wonders. And so they, as a nation, would not receive him. And what I saw here, I, I, I'm seeing a picture in my heart anyway, of how that God put the blood on the doorpost and those that entered into that door came out of Egypt. And here in Jerusalem, God does the same thing, even in the natural Jerusalem. Those that received the Lord Jesus came out of that Egypt, that natural Jerusalem, that Egypt. That's what I'm calling that Egypt. They came out of Jerusalem before God destroyed it. Those that received him. Those that had the mark of the Lord in their forehead. And Jesus declared himself through the miracles, signs, and wonders. He did great judgments in the land. See, because he was establishing who he is. Now, I still believe in miracles, signs, and wonders, but Jesus was establishing in that day that I am he that the prophets have declared that this is the prophet that Moses had spoken of that it was required of the, Israel, of the nation of Israel to hear. And that God said, if you will not hear this prophet, it will be required of you. And it was required of them because they refused that prophet and they cried out, let his blood be upon her hands. And they would not enter into the door. You know, we, we talked for a long time on the services that we put on Facebook at the door, 
Well, they went and entered into the door, and he told them, I'm the door to the sheepfold. If you climb up some other way, you are a thief and a robber. And so, so he's the door with the blood on it that Israel had to enter into to be saved. He's the fulfillment of their door, and he's the fulfillment of their Passover. And part of this Passover, yeah, it's a coming out of Egypt, but it's a judgment upon the land. I, I began to look at this and how the Lord said he was going to bring judgment in the land. And I know he brings the destruction of Jerusalem, but he brings judgment into our land. And this is this is where a lot of Christians go to the cross and they say, Well, Jesus forgave me of all my sins, and that's and that's true to a point. But what they don't understand is he brought you to death. Now, Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That son of the, of the earth was going to die. He was not going to escape the cross, just like this son in Egypt, this firstborn son of Egypt, which which to me represents the old man and the sin and death of the old man. I know it can represent the law and it can represent a lot of things, but just stay with me right here tonight. It had to come to death. God had to strike a blow upon it because without the blow being struck upon it, we can't come out of it. And without understanding the judgment of death that God has put upon the old man and that the Passover actually deals with this because at, at Passover he went through the land and struck the blow to the land. Anyone that did not have the blood on it had the blow struck to the land. And that was the nation of Egypt, which represented, like I said, the old man. And, and you find that in, in Romans 6, that the old man is crucified. That when Jesus hung on the cross, the old man was destroyed. Just as Moses hung the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus had to be hung on the cross. So there has to come a judgment upon this land that the old man is dead. And that's part of the Passover. And, and then they move out of Passover into a feast of unleavened bread for a week. And again, to me, that leaven is dealing with the old man. So they come up to a feast of Christ for a week of unleavened bread, of bread without sin. We're really feasting upon the judgment of the Lord because it's a, it's a, 
feast of unleavened bread. So the judgment of the Lord is in the land. And that judgment of the Lord, that blood that's upon the house is carrying a judgment that there's a death blow in the land. And that death blow is death to the old man, to the carnal man, to the natural man that we were in Adam. He does not come forth in the resurrection. He is dead. So all the types and shadows have to line up with what Jesus did at the cross. So God had to come in and work the signs and miracles and wonders in Egypt because Jesus was going to come into the Egypt, Egypt of mankind, of all the ungodliness of mankind, because Egypt was filled with what ungodliness, with idolatry, with false gods, and everything that was evil in man, I believe you could sum it up in Egypt, and here God comes into Egypt and he brings judgment upon it, and Jesus comes into humanity, and he brings judgment upon the humanity, and he deals with that that's in the heart of man. Glory to God. He comes right to the heart of the matter. He doesn't, he doesn't, you, you know, appease it. You know, Jesus doesn't appease things. You know, we like to appease things, but Jesus doesn't appease it. He crucifies it. And these types and shadows are through the Old Testament. David doesn't just beat up the lamb. He cuts his head off. See, see, because the answer to it is a death blow. The answer is not appeasement. The answer is a death blow. It's always been a death blow. And so the type and shadow had to be a death blow because it had to be in accordance to the cross. And that's what Jesus brings upon the land. Now is the judgment of the world a blow of death. Why? Because David cries out in Psalms 51 and says, Behold, I am shapen in iniquity. Why, why? I hear people today almost saying David was wrong. David, David didn't get it right. And I want to go, well, then the whole Old Testament's wrong. Then, then, then I'm wrong, and you're wrong, because I've seen what I am in the flesh. And, what, and Jesus had to deal with what I am in the flesh I was conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity. Therefore, the deeds of my flesh was according to the nature that I was in, and Jesus had to come as a man, lowered into humanity, as a living soul, to die the death of the cross. He had to. Because what was in man wasn't the product 
God was after. God wasn't after a man of sin. God wasn't after death. He was after white and life and purity that is in Christ. And so we have to be baptized into his death. We have to comprehend his death that strikes the blow. In order to live unto his life. I got to see a blow is struck to me. And like Brother Jim Wickens says, it's not I who liveth, but it's Christ that liveth in me because the death blow came to my house. The blood of the Lamb has been applied to me and I am dead with him. Because he had to die because therefore if he didn't die, death was going to reign. That's what Paul writes, that death reigned through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So if the death blow doesn't come to that man, there's death. So God's remedy to that man, to Egypt, is death. That's it. Now, it's a hard... As you say, a hard pill to swallow. A lot of a lot of Christians don't want to swallow that pill. But that's it. That we would live by Christ. And when you see this, it's the most glorious thing I've ever seen, that he's my life. Because it begins to move me out of what I was. And, and that was the whole thing with, with the Israelites. They were coming out of the reality they were in in Egypt through the death, through the judgment of death. They were coming out of what they were. The night God struck the blow of death, the Israelites were coming to a new reality and that new reality was all by the hand of Jehovah. So it was no longer going to be by the hand of Egypt or themselves. Because like I said, they couldn't come out anyway. They were trapped. And this is what you find in Adam, that all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That death passed upon all men. So Jesus had to come to destroy him that had the power of death and strike a blow to it. And how he struck a blow to it is he didn't just forgive us. He did that. That's in him. But he brought us to the death of it. He that is dead is freed from sin. That's the judgment in the land. That the death blow came into the land. You could say the deaf angel came at the cross and struck the blow to the land. 
And when we enter into the door that is Christ, we come into that death to come out of that land. Because the only way out of that land that humanity is in is through the death of the Lamb. And that's why Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Because it's in Christ crucified that there is salvation. And salvation is a death blow to the land. I mean, I mean, Jesus didn't just tell the person with that was crippled, hey, I, I hope you feel better tomorrow. He struck a blow to the land. He says, rise up and walk. So he took authority over the land. Because the power in him was, the, of course, the power of God. So just like Jehovah come up on the land of Egypt, Jesus come upon the land of humanity and began to speak to that land in the authority of God that it would rise up and walk in him, that it would come to him. And that's what we've done. We've, we, we have come to him to live in the goodness of God and what God has provided. And that whole journey out of, out of Egypt was through the provision of God, through the hand of the Lord. And that's what our whole salvation is, is through the hand of the Lord. From the death blow to the fullness in Christ, it's the hand of the Lord. It's the power of the Almighty that has come to the land to lead us into pastures of the Lord, into streams and fountains and rivers of water of life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. But in order for all of this life to come forth, there was a blow to the land. And the lack of that comprehension the lack of that reality in our soul many times makes us like Israel wanting to eat the garlics and onions of Egypt because we want to go back and eat of that old land. But as we comprehend the work of Christ, that is gone. That is over. And that new life has begun. A beginning of days has begun. Out of death comes life. And that whole principle we find in, in, the, in gardening, that at the death of the seed, there's or the husk, there comes the life. So that principle of what was done in Egypt is shown all in the earth and it's fulfilled at the cross because the blow came. The judgment 
of the world came. Now is the judgment of the world. Not some far off day in front of us. But now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he was cast out. He was crucified and buried. And a new one came forth that has all authority and power in heaven and earth. And we live by him, not by Adam. And that's, you know, as, as I'm saying this to you, that is such a powerful statement in my heart. We live by him. If we could comprehend him, that is our life. But our mind wants to think we live by Adam. But we don't. And the solution is the blow. Well, We'll stop here tonight, but here in Passover is, yes, the coming out, but is the judgment of the cross. And and one other thing the Lord really quickened in my heart in this, I've mentioned a number of them, but, but you will keep Passover throughout your generations. You will keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. All right. We keep the judgment of Christ, our Passover lamb, forever. This ordinance of Christ, this Passover is fulfilled. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. He, as Passover lamb, has put this judgment in the earth, and it never goes away. It is a continual reality. Passover is a continual reality in Christ. It's, not, it's no longer a day on a calendar. It's no longer, the, so to speak, the month of a beat. It is now the reality of the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blow that he struck, the blood of his offering upon the doorpost, upon the doors of our heart. Open the door. What, all your gates? Jesus stands at the door of our heart and knocks. So our hearts that, are, that has the blood applied. This is a perpetual reality. A continual reality in the believer Passover is. So is Pentecost. So is Tabernacles. It's a continual reality of him just like the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't taken away. The Sabbath was fulfilled in a person. Jesus is the fulfillment of rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. Jesus is the fulfillment of Pentecost. 
He fulfills them. This one last thing to say, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when it was finally fulfilled, the Spirit of God came. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And that spiritual reality has been on the earth ever since. God never did away with it. God just fulfilled it. Just like Israel. God didn't do away with Israel. He just fulfilled it in his son. Brother Mark dealt with this other night. The Israel of God isn't a natural humanity. It's the, it's the seed of the living God. It's those that are in Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. It's been fulfilled. And it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb, who has brought us out of Egypt and into the light of the Lord. Glory to God. Well, like I said, I'm going to stop. Brother Jimmy Lewis, you haven't been with us for a while, so I'm going to pick at you first, my brother.